Welcome to Short Course, episode 58, for April 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. What I've found in my time in this sport is that one of the sources, possibly the, the largest source, but one of the sources of breakthroughs that I've had in the sport comes from realizing that I was wrong about something. And the strange thing about realizing that you're wrong about something is it's something that you've you almost learn to take for granted for so long that you even you forget that it's there. And then one day you're doing something or you're confronted with a set of facts. And the only way to make them make sense is to realize that one of the things that you've taken for granted is incorrect. So it might be that you have a match outcome or a stage outcome where you thought you had a decent run and then you see somebody else's run and they open your eyes. You thought that the way you were executing that stage was the best. You were doing it to the best of your ability, which is all that we're ever doing anytime we're competing. But you thought that what you were doing was the best way to approach that stage. And then somebody shoots at 20% faster than you, and it opens your eyes. It might be that you thought that taking fewer steps, but shooting targets at a longer distance would actually result in a better time. And it turned out that you actually spent more time aiming than you would have spent moving. And having that result sort of brings you face to face with the idea that something about some assumption that you were making, something that you thought you knew about practical shooting turns out not to be the case. So here's an example. Something that I started to notice in my own dry fire practice, I don't know, two, three years ago maybe, was that as I was repetitively doing the same drill over and over, just trying to put in a certain number of reps or get in get in a lot of reps without wasting a lot of time on a particular drill for, say, five minutes. What I found is I would actually naturally speed up over the course of the drill. And I didn't feel like I was actually getting any faster. I, I didn't feel like I was performing the technique better. And in fact... In some cases, I would have some kind of obvious flub that was that was clear to me that it had happened, and I would still make the part-time. And at the same time, I noticed that as I was going through the drill, it felt like the, the transitions were becoming easier. I wasn't over-swinging or under-swinging targets. It felt like my sights were just snapping between the targets in order. And eventually, what I figured out, at least this is my best guess as of today, was that my body was what I've come to call learning the transitions. So you just get muscle memory about exactly how much sort of a push you need from get to get from this target to that target to the next target. And so your body actually through repetitively 10, 20, 30, 40 times doing rep after rep of a, a single dry fire drill can actually fall into this rhythm where you get what to me appeared to be false gains because it is it is a performance improvement that only came after 30 or 40 repetitions of a drill. So obviously this was not something that that was useful in a practical context. This was not useful for shooting classifiers or stages where in both cases you might get to do a semi full speed dry fire at for example at make ready, you might you might full speed dry fire through a drill, but you're not actually pulling the trigger the same way. It's not recoiling the same way. So it's not, it's not actually practice in that sense. And so when I figured that out, I started trying to structure my practice in a way that 
I was not seeing any gains in dry fire from that. So when I saw a speed up in practice, it was because I was actually getting faster. It wasn't because I was learning the transitions. And mostly the way that I did that was by varying the target order between reps. So I might alter it every single rep, or I might do five one way and then five the other way, draw to one target and then clear the rest of them and then draw to a different target, that sort of thing. And that was, that was relatively successful. But what I found is, although in a very narrow sense, that is actually more realistic. Recently, I've actually come around to the idea that it's actually useful in a practice context to let your body learn the transitions and to fall into a rhythm of, especially on a simple drill like El Prez, of just letting the gun snap between the targets because the transitions may not be the point of the drill that you're working on. And so if you're trying to work on calling shots or draws and reloads or turn and draws or or anything else that isn't transitions, then learning the transitions is not necessarily a bad thing. And so for a very long time, I, I thought that I needed to avoid that. And I structured my practice around making sure that I wasn't learning the transitions in any given drill. And what I've come to realize recently is that that probably was, it was helpful up to a point, but by taking it too far, it's actually been handicapping me slightly. It's making my practice less efficient than it could have been because I'm spending so much time trying to vary the the transition order on every rep and trying to learn the new transitions that I'm getting distracted from whatever the point of the drill that I'm doing is. And if transitions aren't the point, if transitions aren't what I'm working on, then letting my body learn the transitions is fine, especially if I'm realistic. And I don't think that because I can do a, an El Prez in a certain time in dry fire that has any bearing on my live fire time, which is, I've never had that illusion. And so even if my best time doing an El Prez in dry fire benefits from having learned the transitions, as long as I'm learning other things as well, that's fine. So that's, that's one of those examples of something that for a while I've sort of come to take for granted and eventually have had sort of a breakthrough in my practice by realizing that that by taking that for granted, I was actually limiting myself and by sort of relaxing that constraint, by by adding some nuance to it, by saying, yes, that guideline is true in this scenario and in other scenarios, it's not true. That has actually helped me to learn and move and, and break through out of the, the plateau that I'm on right now. Another example that, that comes to mind is from a class that I took a couple of years ago with Ben Steger at a, at a local range where he had set up a, a stage as a, as a practice exercise that we all got to shoot and get feedback on. And he demoed the stage. And after he ran it, I, I remember, I don't remember exactly the question was, but I remember characterizing his approach to the stage as suicidally dangerous in the sense that he had chosen to take two targets, one that was if I remember correctly, it was about a 15-yard open target and a 12-yard target with a no-shoot covering the lower half of the A zone. He had chosen to take those on the move in production. And I just looked at that, and my my first reaction, you know, when I had shot the stage immediately before this, I had not, I had taken those targets flat-footed, and watching him do that, I just thought, no way, it's it's unrealistic. Maybe the open target, you can you can afford to drop the Charlies shooting it on the move. But that half no-shoot target is such a high-risk target, it's 
suicidally dangerous to take it on the move. And that was just the, the, the ethos. That was the dogma of production was hard targets beyond a certain distance, especially risky targets. And I think at the time I was probably more fearful than I am now about shooting on the move and especially risky shots that you can't take back. So if you call a hit in the hardcover shooting on the move, well, you can just make it up. But if you happen to, to land your foot at the wrong spot during a during a move and then you dip the sights low into a no-shoot and break the shot, even if you make it up and get the alpha, you've still got the penalty for, for the no-shoot. And so to me, it was it was not even a question that you would take those those two targets flat-footed. And watching him run the stage and sort of talking it through and then having the opportunity to run the stage that way myself and, you know, having the national champion say, no, it's faster this way, trust me. And then trying it yourself with almost zero practice and finding that it was, it was even faster that way. Just opened my eyes to the idea that the way that I was going to make progress was by taking the things that I was assuming were true and questioning them and figuring out which ones were untrue which ones were useful up to a point, but were now holding me back. Just to give one more example here, something else that has been a a bit of a breakthrough for me in the last six months to a year is sort of two separate things related to grip. The first is one that I talked about on episode 47, things I changed my mind about in 2018. And that was fundamentally my thinking about the strong hand grip and the function of the grip panels on a gun like a Tanfolio, or even the, say that the grip surfaces on a gun like a Glock that doesn't have grip panels. The natural sort of naive assumption that I had coming in was something to the effect of, well, you want to maximize contact on the gun, right? So it's the best thing to do is to, is to wrap your right hand around the gun in a way that maximizes the surface contact. And so if that means that your fingers wrap further around the gun and your left hand doesn't have as much space on the left side of the gun, then well, too bad. You know, the rule says maximize surface contact. And so that's what you're going to do. As I started to play around with grips of different thicknesses and started to question why certain grips had different effects and whether gripping the gun, actually using a different grip technique, what the effects of that were, and eventually I realized that 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 whole notion that I that, that that's just dogma of maximum grip contact on the gun, especially with the right hand is is better. I just realized that that was just wrong. It just it, at least in my experience, it was incorrect and that for the right hand, particularly, it was much more about getting contact in a way that you can control the gun, which with the right hand is primarily on the front and back strap, because if you're controlling the gun correctly, it's moving up and down. It's not it's not inherently going to move side to side in recoil. And so having having grip tension and grip strength and grip pressure in the palm of your of your right hand where at best it could sort of control the gun from flipping to the left, it's not really clear, but it took me having to sort of confront that that idea, that received wisdom to realize that it wasn't the case and that proved to be the beginning of a of a grip breakthrough and something that I now am working on as well is the idea that it's actually not that important to have a particularly high grip, especially with the, with the weak hand, but that it turns out to actually be more advantageous to maximize grip surface contact with the left hand 
which in this case means if you, for example, have to choose between having your index finger sort of curled up under the trigger guard or having your hand be a little bit lower and make full contact with all four fingers on your on your left hand against the outside of your right hand, I've actually found that that provides a better grip, which goes totally against this idea that that has come down that everybody talks about and says that you need to grip the gun as high as possible. I think there are contexts in which that's true, but as I've been going through this journey and, and manipulating my grip and actually playing with the options, I've actually found that, especially with that left hand, that as I move the left hand, not necessarily lower down on the gun, but just ma- to maximize the, the contact with my right hand, that the grip has actually improved. Now, you, you could take this as a bunch of examples of me being you know, an iconoclast and trying to upset the received wisdom. And, and that's not really what this is meant to be. These are just meant to be examples of things in my shooting career where something that just seemed on its face obviously true turned out not to be. And that figuring that out and questioning that assumption was a breakthrough. Now, not everything, not everything that you hear is actually untrue. And that's why I call this episode half of what you know is wrong because the best way that I can, that I've come up to describe it is that part of the purpose of practice and part of the purpose of competition and studying your film and looking at other shooters is to figure out which half of what you know is wrong because it's not all wrong. Not all received wisdom is untrue. One thing right off the top of my head that just comes to mind is the idea of limited minor not being competitive in USPSA beyond the local level. Now, that said, if you're shooting limited minor and it's all you can shoot at the local level, have fun, go shoot. But if you, you know, if you decide to listen to this podcast and say, yeah, let me, let me challenge the system and try and make a run at limited minor at nationals. No, no, not a hundred percent of everything that's received wisdom turns out to be wrong. But the, the useful lens that I've found for applying in this context is the idea of assuming that of the things that you know, half of them are wrong. And the trick is figuring out which half. And so when you're thinking about something that's an assumption, when you're saying, oh, I'm going to make this choice because of X, Y, and Z, if you have the time, usually not on match day, but if you have the time either before the match or after the match or in practice or something, and you want to set up a scenario to test that, or you want to experiment with some gear change that that would potentially show you whether or not that assumption is true. That's usually a good thing. And I think, at least in my experience, that has been a source of breakthroughs and progress and getting off of plateaus for myself. But by using this sort of rule of thumb or mental trick, you could say, of saying this half of what I know is wrong and I just have to figure out which half, I find that 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 opens me up. It allows me to not get too dug in on any one position, not to assume that even if I've been telling people something for years, that I have to keep going on that, or it turns out that, you know, that I'm a fraud and a fake and giving out bad advice. I just, I was wrong about that thing. And there have been things that I've been wrong about. But the last thing that I want to do is get so invested in any one ideological position that it becomes the hill that I die on. It becomes the thing that I'm so certain of that I'm unwilling to question it, that I am, I have to shape all my practice around it, even though that might be the one thing that turns out to be incorrect. And I think part of the reason, part of the path that people follow to get into a situation where they're they're stuck on something 
and it it turns out to be what may have been a previous boost or previous improvement for them turns out to be their greatest hindrance is that in my experience anything difficult in practical shooting in life anything truly difficult is ultimately going to boil down to being a balance so in the context of shooting you need to grip the gun hard enough to control it but not so hard that you get trigger freeze and your your muscles are so locked up that you can't move the gun around that's a balance you need to aim the gun enough that you shoot good points and you can call your misses but not so much that you're slow it's a balance and the way the way that you perhaps can visualize this is that the balance is the top of a steep hill, maybe even a, a bell curve, kind of like the, the the traditional, you know, statistical normal distribution. On each given sector, each each given category of, of skill that you're trying to improve or each given thing that you're trying to work on, you are on one side or the other of the peak of that bell curve. And the the goal is to get as close to the, the tip of that bell curve and then stay as close to it as you can. But if you imagine that you're halfway down one side of the curve, and you start pushing really hard in one direction, and it's pushing you up the curve, and you're seeing improvements, and you're gripping harder, and you're gripping harder, and your scores are getting better, and your scores are getting better. Well, it, it sort of becomes obvious in this scenario that if you keep pushing forever, if you if you keep assuming the harder I grip the gun, the better I get, then eventually you're going to hit the peak, and you're going to start sliding down the other side. And this is very confusing because you can literally have two people on opposite sides of the bell curve pushing in towards the center by doing literally opposite things. So there might be someone who needs to grip more and there might be someone who needs to grip less. And both of them see performance improvements by doing that up to where each of them hits the middle. And then they, by continuing to move in the direction that they've been moving to see improvements, once they've hit the apex and they start sliding down the other side, then the improvement becomes a detriment. And so it's very, very hard to figure out when you're actually at the top of the bell curve. It's very, very hard to figure out when you've hit just the right spot. And so I think it's very easy to start in one place, do something that that generates a lot of improvement, tell everybody you know that something in particular helped you quite a bit, and then keep doing it and do it more, and then have your shooting start to deteriorate because you've gone over the apex of the curve and now you're sliding down the other side. And if you redouble your efforts to keep pushing in whatever direction it was that got you here, you're just going to push yourself even further down the other side of the slope. And so that, that effect I find tends to be where you get people who can either give you sort of contradictory advice or advice that's good up to a point. So what do you do about this? Well, for any given technique, for any given piece of advice, one question to ask is what would this look like if it was taken too far? that can help you see when you're getting too close to the, the, the point of diminishing returns, or I mean, even worse than diminishing, the point of negative returns, where if you keep emphasizing this aspect of your, of your shooting, whether it's explosive movement or aiming more or gripping the gun, any of these things taken to an extreme, you can immediately sort of picture in your mind what, what that negative outcome of taking that too, too far to an extreme would look like. So you can ask for any given technique, what would this look like if taken too far? Or what would it look like if this were wrong? What would, what would have to be true for this to be false? And I think both of those things can, can help you to, to unlock something that may, may be an assumption. It may seem to you like it's obviously true, 
but is actually something that is sort of limiting you. It's it's this invisible brick wall that you keep stumbling over because you just you don't even question that gravity is down and the sky is blue and softer power factor lets you shoot faster. Well, maybe a snappier round actually returns faster. Who you know? I'm just throwing out an idea. I don't actually load my ammo with that idea, but but it's theoretically possible. It's reasonable. Maybe maybe 165 grain nine millimeter going at like 300 feet per second or whatever. Maybe maybe that's not the best load. Maybe maybe there are other options out there. And I'm not saying that everything out there is wrong, but it's interesting to sort of try and look at the world as you have a certain set of beliefs and a non-zero portion of them are incorrect and they are what's holding you back. And so if you can just go out and practice until you figure out which ones are wrong and then figure out what the correct version of that belief is, then that is one way to keep moving forward. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. I post videos for my matches at youtube.com slash USPSA. My email is podcast at barryshooting.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, consider buying a shirt at barryshooting.com slash shop. Talk to you next time.